Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Hola, como vai, and welcome to episode 181. That was for my Portuguese listeners in Brazil and Portugal. Welcome to Maximize Your Influence podcast. This is Kurt Mortensen, and I want to welcome all the listeners to another podcast of how to become more influential and to persuade with power. Steve Olson's still on sabbatical, the bum, but hey, we'll try to get him back here soon. But I'm excited. We're approaching 200 episodes. Maybe that'll mean something. I don't know. We'll do something special for that episode as we get you the skills that really matter. The skills we should have learned in school. Still a little froggy for my trip from Germany, but it could be something else. I want to make the special announcement that allergy season is here. I've been sneezing all morning. No fun. But if you have allergies, you already knew that. You didn't need my special announcement. It's been a great week. Spoke in uh, Salt Lake City this week at a National Speakers Association event. It was a lot of fun. Always stressful to, A, take a 90-minute presentation and do it in 20 minutes and be surrounded by professional speakers because you know they're judging you. But it turned out well. Met a lot of good friends. Met a lot of old friends. Shout out to the National Speakers Association. As always, it was good times. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, and, of course, those rude remarks, Email me at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And every once in a while, we'll take your email and we'll do a show all the way around it and teach you the things that you're having the biggest challenge with. So since Steve Olson's not here and I don't like the Urkel sound, I'm going to give you a new sound. Let me know what you think. Go. That's our tentative geeky article sound. Not sure if it'll stick, but we will see. As you know, we go into the latest science on persuasion and influence and this is out of the journal of social psychology titled when legitimizing a request increases compliance the legitimizing object technique You're like, okay what does that mean <laughs> well nicholas giergen hopefully you got that one right was looking at previous research of people that are doing fundraising that's obviously a big form of influence to people pull out their wallet not for pain but for inspiration to help out. Those are two very different styles of motivation and influence. They found that when they use pictures of the children or pictures of the cause, it legitimized the solicitation and more people donated, more people were influenced, right? So he takes that to a different level where people on the street were asking for stamps. They needed money for stamps to send a letter. Now, obviously, when they had an envelope in their hand, that was a big difference compared to when they didn't have an envelope in their hand which of course that legitimizes the request. You're like, all right, Kurt, what's that got to do with me? <laughs> Everything. If you're bleeding and asking for a Band-Aid, it would probably help. In fact, one study that I was doing, I was watching somebody that was asking for funds at this gas station, okay? And we tried a couple different things just to see what would happen. And we found out when he said, I'm moving, I need help, that increased the donation because there was a reason. But when they had a pickup full of furniture, I'm moving and I need help with a tank of gasoline, then it exploded through the roof. When people are begging for money on the street, and they says, help my children, and there's no child, that's different than when the child's right there. 
So if you can visualize, either with a picture or mentally, the pain or the problem or, or even the inspiration, that makes you more influential. Now here's the bottom line. This is what I want you to take away. If your prospect or whoever you're trying to influence, even a teenager, if they can't see themselves doing it mentally, if you haven't created that mental picture, if they can't visualize it, it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. That's even something I saw with charismatic leaders, the ability to create a vision where people could see what they're asking them to do. And here's another example. I think I've mentioned this one before, but inner city kids go to college, go to college. They don't go to college. Their parents didn't go to college. Why would they go to college? They can't see it. They don't even know what it means. Maybe they've never talked to somebody who's been to college. So what do you do? You show them pictures of a college. You take them to a college. They mirror a student at college. Now, when they say college, they can visualize it. They can see it, taste it, touch it, feel it. It's real. It dramatically increases the number of inner city kids that go to college. So that's the takeaway. Create it, legitimize it, help them visualize it. It could be physical, and it could be mental. doesn't matter, but that's a big part of influence. So I've been getting some emails a lot about persuasive presentations. That's a big part of what I do is I coach people to become more persuasive in their presentations because it's interesting that a lot of people could give a great presentation. and People say, that was a great presentation. You're like, are you going to buy or are you going to do it? And like, well, no, but that was a great presentation. I'm going to guess you failed as a persuader because anybody could present, but are you persuasive? Anybody could inform, but are you influential? Anybody could communicate, but are you convincing? You see where I'm going with this? Especially if you've taken college courses on this. It's all logical-based arguments. And if you've listened to this show, you know it's not all about the logic. You've got to have the emotion and those subconscious triggers. So let me give you the formula. I'm all about the formula and how to do this. It's fun to coach politicians and CEOs and to get them to the level where they're really persuasive. It's interesting, politicians and a lot of CEOs, you have to sign these, these agreements where you won't tell people they're being coached. But, hey, we're coaching them. We're helping them out. In fact, in the laws of charisma research, I found that upward mobility in a corporation especially depends on your ability to persuade while you're presenting to groups of people. And I don't know if we'll get this done in one podcast, but let me get you some things. If not, we'll, we'll bleed over to the next podcast as I get you this information. Now, if you want to take a look at presentation blunders, that's podcast 72. Those are things that distract from your message. You could take a look at that. And and just a little housekeeping, go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. You can see our social media list. You can download from iTunes. You can find other places to get instant access to the podcast. And a list of all the older podcasts that you can listen to. So here's the formula. There are five points. So write on your paper one through five. Okay? And leave some space here as we talk about each one of these. Now I'm going to start with number five. Okay? Number five, write down call to action. This is your close. You're like, well, why are we writing it down first? Because you create it first. This is one of the biggest challenges I see out there. You create your call to action first. I'm not asking you to deliver it first. I'm saying create your call to action first. What do you want them to do? Are they buying? Are they donating? Are they agreeing to another meeting? Are they saying maybe? Whatever it is you want, what do you want them to do? Because your whole presentation is geared to this call to action. If it surprises them, you're asking them to buy, if you're asking them for money, you've blown your whole presentation. It wasn't a clear call to action. And this is only about 5% of your presentation. It shouldn't take you that long. And again, it should not surprise them. <laughs> Mind you that story I <laughs> told you before, but I like it a lot, about the farmer, right? 
and uh, the toothache. He put it off, put it off. His farm didn't have a lot of money. Put it off, put it off. Finally goes to the dentist because his tooth is just killing him. He's like, Doc, take it out. Do something. Fix it. And he says, yeah, we're going to have to take it out. He's like, well, how much does it cost? He's like, well, $150. He's $150? How long does it take? He's like, I don't know, a couple minutes. This farmer looked him in the eye and he was kind of upset and says, $150 for a couple minutes? And the dentist just calmly smiled and said, well, if it's the time you're worried about, I can take as long as you want. <laughs> Meaning, get to the point. It shouldn't surprise them. This is the moment of truth, right? So that's the first one. So let's move back up to number one. Remember, call to action. Create it first, deliver it last, but you have to decide what you want them to do before you create your whole presentation. All right, so number one, that's the famous what's in it for me, what's in it for them. That's grabbing their attention. That's maybe revealing something new they haven't considered. This might be exposing their pain. You've got 30 seconds to really grab their interest, whether you're on the phone, whether you're doing a group presentation. You've got to grab their attention. Not what you think is interesting and exciting, and we see too many persuaders do that. Whatever convinced them about the product, service, idea, or charity, or cause is what they think everybody is going to latch on to, and that is never, never the case. What is interesting to them? What's going to grab their attention? So that's the first thing. Number one is create interest, all right? So number two is state the problem. What is the issue here? What is the challenge here? What is the pain here? What is the fear here? What is the dissonance here? If you've studied cognitive dissonance with me, what is that dissonance? So you've got to show, hey, this is a problem and this is how it affects you. And a lot of times here you have to create what's called a gap. Now what a gap is is where they think they are and where they really are is rarely true. You've got to create a gap to where they are and where they want to be as wide as possible. Expose them to where, no, you're not even close. And if we don't fix this problem, it's going to cost you X amount of dollars, or it's going to cost you your health, it's going to cost you this. You think this high blood pressure is not that big of a deal, but it is this big of a deal. You think the challenge of not having this product or this resource is here, but no. And if you don't install, look what's going to happen down the road. So that's kind of state the problem. Number three, this one you know how to do, don't spend a lot of time on this one, is offer evidence. This is your proof, your statistics, right? Your social validation. This is more the logical side of your presentation, so you gotta have the evidence. Then, number four, is present the solution. So one's create interest, two state the problem, three offer evidence, four present the solution. This is where you show them the solution and how it's going to change things and improve their life, solve their problem. Here's the solution. Here are other people doing it. This is the important part we talked about earlier is the visualization to mentally get to the CM or to show them physical proof on how it's going to fix it. They have to see themselves accepting and doing the solution here. You have to paint that picture for them. And this is also a good place to use what's called a presupposition. If you ever studied neuro-linguistic programming or NLP, basically you're presupposing they're going to do it. You're talking that they've already accepted, they've already implemented, they're already doing it. The solution is becoming real. We don't always start with a presupposition, but if they're on board and you've developed that connection and there's trust and you're the expert, this is a great place to start talking like it's already happened. You're already doing business. They've already accepted. The solution is already kicked in and here are the benefits is a great spot on the present the solution. And of course, number five I already talked about is the call to action. What do you want them to do? Now, a word of warning on your call to action, just based on some research, 
and that I've seen firsthand. I think we've all seen this, and we've probably all done this. We've got to be very careful. This is a universal blunder. Is What happens with a lot of persuaders is when they get to that call to action, uh-oh, this is the moment of truth, the nerves hits, the tension, they're asking for the raise, they're asking for the money, they're asking for the business, and the nerves kick in, and your demeanor changes. And I'll just tell you bluntly, you're freaking out your prospect. Well, what happened to people person? What happened to trustworthy person? Here's nervous, tense, antsy person. What's going on? What's different? And this could all happen subconsciously, but there's tension there. The call to action, your moment of truth should excite you. This is it. You're asking for the money. Don't change demeanor. And something to help you out with this. Remember, you're persuading the whole time. You're not persuading at the very end. This whole presentation is persuasive. That is what you need to focus on. This is tried and true. I've monitored thousands of presentations, and this is the formula that works the best. And next week, I'm going to add to this formula so you can resonate with the whole audience. Because you present how you like to be presented to. You have different styles, personalities in that audience, and you need to shoot down the middle. And there's certain things that you can add to make sure you resonate with everybody instead of just the people that are like you. Now, it's different one-on-one, obviously, because you have to resonate with the one person or the two people. But when you have an audience, it's a lot different. We're going to focus on that next week. Because we're out of daylight this week, we need to focus on the blunder, the persuasion blunder. Homer, go! Go, go, go! All right, those new to the show, that's our Homer Simpson sound to tell us the blunder is coming. And this is one that's happened to me. And I'd love to hear your blunders, either that you've done or that have happened to you. You can uh, send me that at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. This particular blunder happened to me. I was spending time with one of my daughters, and she wanted to watch Spider-Man 2. And I had never seen it. I've seen some of the other, I believe it's Marvel movies out there. Some of them are pretty good. Some aren't as good. But this one, I was sitting there watching it at home. This one was rotten. Now, it was probably, I don't know, five, eight years old, something like this. It was an older movie. Obviously, Spider-Man 1 had done well because they came out with Spider-Man 2. I guess, I guess I'm assuming there, but that's what I noticed. And this thing was rotten. It was bad. I wanted a refund of my time. But this thing was well-budgeted. It had a lot of big stars in it. And it just rubbed me the wrong way. The, I just felt the acting was bad. It just it, Everything was bad. And... I don't think I would have sat through it unless my daughter was there. And I started thinking about it. Why did I hate it so much? Why was it so bad? And the answer is, I don't know. And then I didn't want to spend the time to figure it out. It was obviously subconscious triggers. There was something in the movie with the colors, with the action, with the sounds. Something was rubbing me the wrong way. And we've talked about that up to 95% of influence can involve a subconscious trigger. I've talked about that all the time. Here was something about this movie that just wasn't quite right. Just rubbed me the wrong way. So the blunder is obviously the movie, but I want to give you the ninja insight on this. So we're going to also add the ninja noise. Ninja go. Here's what the takeaway is. I could have spent hours and days watching the movies and categorizing it and doing focus groups and finding out what's wrong with it and why do people hate it so much. But you know what? That's not an income-producing activity. Okay, at least unless they hire me to do it. And that happens a lot of times with your product, your service, your presentations, or maybe something you're testing on the internet. Sometimes to figure things out, it just takes too long. So my message is, 
is test two or three or four things out. That's one of the easiest ways. You can spend all the time analyzing and analyzing. Sometimes it's just better to test two or three, four things out. Because I talk to a lot of marketers, and they all agree, sometimes we just don't know. Sometimes we don't know why that shirt pulls better than that shirt, or why that speaker pulls better than that speaker, or why that headliner that pulls better than that headline. I mean, we could figure it out. But sometimes just getting out there and testing different things is the quickest and best ways to figure things out. Now, I'm all about the research and, and figuring things out, and so this is something I've worked on over the years, but sometimes just test it out. You might not know. You might not be sure. Test a different headline. Test a different voicemail. Test a different close. Test a different visual aid. Test a different PowerPoint and see the difference. Now, be careful here. For those of you in marketing, I already know this. When you're testing something out, when you're testing something that's working pretty good and you want it to work better, don't change everything. Change maybe the headline or maybe change a slide or change this out and test it and see the difference. Now, if you're testing something that is brand new, you might do an A-B test, right? You're testing two different things to see which one pulls better. Then you'll take that one and fine-tune one or two things about it. Then fine-tune one or two things about that and just keep getting better and better and better. So that's kind of the blunder and the ninja all makes it once. We call that the blinja. But take that away. That's important to understand that you're smarter enough to probably figure it out. But sometimes just testing this here and there is much quicker, much faster, and less of a mental strain than sometimes trying to figure everything out the first time or making it perfect or doing all the different focus groups or testing the emails out on different people. That is the takeaway I want you to get. Now, for those who want more information on persuasive presentation and the science behind it and how to do that, go to healthepain.com. I have persuasive presentation. That's the audio program on there. Check it out. Next time we're going to, how do you resonate with the whole audience? I have a simple formula to add to the five steps here. That will really open up your eyes. It's actually a lot of fun to teach. It's a lot of fun to implement. It's actually very easy to implement. And since we're out of time this week, we're going to focus on that next week. So do I maximize your influence audience? Thanks for being loyal listeners. Thanks for your positive feedback. Really appreciate that. Master these skills and go out and persuade with power.